the coaches network bringing the game together constantly looking for ways to become a better person because again to wrap all this stuff up whatever person you are that's the kind of leader you're going to be the coaches network bringing the game together Hey guys, you're now listening to The Coaches Network, a podcast aiming to bring people at the heart of coach and player development together. My name's Coach Yas, a performance coach, content creator and founder of The Coaches Network. And today's episode is going to be part of our how-to series, where we discuss a range of topics and with the help of our guests, break down some actionable how-to steps to help you reach your full potential. Enjoy. Right guys, welcome back to another episode of The Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and today you're joining us for the next episode of the How To Series. Today I've got a very special guest with me. On the call, I've got Dr. Jim Taylor. Jim Taylor is an internationally recognized performance psychologist and author. Jim, how are you this morning? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me, Yas. Brilliant. Thank you for being with us. Jim, just for those that don't know, um, would you mind just giving us a bit of information on who you are and what you do exactly? Sure. So um, I guess I'll start on the professional side. I have a PhD in psychology. And for the last way too many years, I've been focusing on helping high high level achievers, athletes, business people, surgeons, military, performing artists to perform better. Um, In addition, I I try to practice what I preach. Um, I have a long athletic history. I was a world ranked alpine ski racer in my youth, uh, second degree black belt, um, uh, sub three hour marathoner, uh, two time Ironman triathlete. And to this day, I still compete in, in uh, Olympic and sprint distance triathlon. triathlon. So it's, it's very important for me to be my own first guinea pig, if you will, and to try a lot of the things that I encourage performers to do. Um, and so my professional and athletic life are, are really wrapped up in my tremendous passion for, for, for achievement and for finding success and fulfillment and meaning in life. Brilliant. And you talked about you know, having a PhD in psychology. Where did that, that passion or that journey begin for you in, in terms of going down that path? Well, this, this is a very, uh, very uh, personal thing for me in that um, there's a cliche that people become a psychologist to figure themselves out. And I mentioned I was a high level ski racer. Well, early in my career, when I was around 16, I was known as a head case, meaning my mind got in the way of my ski racing. And one summer I took a course that introduced me to a lot of the things that I do with with performers now. And I applied them to my ski racing and I took a quantum leap in my performance. Uh, international ranking results, and also just the confidence I had in my in my ski racing. And so when I got to college, I took um, an introductory to psychology course. And the way I put it is that I didn't choose psychology; it chose me. I, I just something just clicked, and I knew that that was the path I wanted to follow. Brilliant. And you know, you, you touched on there about it being a passionate thing around the psychology and understanding that aspect of things. But a large part of your work is spent around supporting organizations and individuals with leadership um you know today's episode is, is going to be based around what leadership looks like and, I, and I hopefully we can go into some characteristics and attributes that you'd identify in terms of a good leader um and, and explore that a little bit further so just you know kind of to start us off then what is good leadership sure well a, a big part of my work is working in organizations sports teams businesses and so on and invariably uh, whoever's in charge sort of has, has an immense impact on 
their uh, on the people who work for them. The, the, well, again, athletes in this case, we can focus on. And so uh, it, I do a ton of coaches education and leadership is an important part of that. So it's it's something that I have a tremendous passion for as well, because the impact the, 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 the impact that a coach has on at their athletes is is immense both in terms of how they perform, um, but also how they develop. With the young athletes, I certainly want them to be successful in their sporting life, but I also want them to be happy and successful people in life in general. So in in terms of leadership, you know, it's become a bit of a a hot button topic because leadership, you know, there have been thousands of leadership books written and so many people talking about what is leadership and how how it develops. And basically for me, leadership, I would define leadership as the ability to get people to do things to achieve their goals, whatever those might be. And those goals could be individual goals or more importantly, organizationally, team goals. It's just within that then, how important is it that in in the process of developing that leadership, we identify what those goals are first? Or do you think it's important to address how we're going to lead first? No, no, no. It, it has to be, well, it's really a combination of both at the same time. Because you can't lead an organization. You can't lead people in a direction that you haven't identified yet. So that, that's certainly very important. And it's, it's important also that the, that the organization, that the athletes, that the team members um, have buy-in and see the, these goals as shared and collective because with buy-in comes investment and effort. Uh, at the same time, though, the question is, okay, once you get, identify that direction and that goal, then how to lead them toward that goal? And that's really what, what leadership is all about. And yes, there is, as you well know, there is no one way to lead. There's no one leadership style. And I'll, I'm gonna, I, wanna, I want you to ask me about leadership style because that's a very controversial area that's worth discussing. But the important thing is that for, for leaders to figure out how they want to lead, what their way of leading is. Definitely. And I think, you know, why, you know, you talked there about wanting to discuss the aspect of leadership style and why I touched on the, the previous point is that there's a lot of, uh, not just coaches, but people in leadership positions that often have their approach and they, they're very fixed in that approach and expect it to work. And it's almost, you know, you buy into it or you're not going to be valued on, uh, I guess, considered if that makes any sense. Um, and then on the flip side of that, you've got other co- other or coaches or individuals in leadership positions that maybe have to, you know, it makes complete sense for me anyway, to take stock of what's happening in the environment before deciding which way to kind of uh, steer this boat, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I think key components to deciding how to lead. One is um, who you are. So uh, bringing up this issue of leadership style, I don't really believe in leadership styles. Because what that suggests is that anybody can identify a particular leadership style and then use that style. And and also that there's some styles that are effective, some that aren't. And the reality is there are so many different ways to lead. And that ultimately boils down to this for me. Personality is leadership. Personality is leadership, yes. That you can't lead in a way that's not consistent with who you are as a person. So if you are somewhat introverted, and, and quiet, you're not going to be with this rah-rah inspirational leader. And if you are very high energy and very strong-willed, you're not going to be probably this empathetic um, sort of servant leadership, servant leader. And so the first place I go in helping people figure out how they can lead best 
is to look at who they are as people and, and what their personality style is. And from there, they can then take that style and, and fit in, in, in develop a leadership approach that's consistent with that. Because invariably, emotionally, intellectually, the attitudes that, that, that people hold, we have only limited, limited ability to expand on who we are as people. We're fundamentally the way we are. And, and uh, once we reach adulthood and we can't be someone that we're not, it's really trying, it's really about understanding who we are and developing the, the best way to lead based upon who we are. So are because again, then, sorry to cut you there. Are you suggesting then that it's almost doing that self-reflection and then leading with a, a strengths-based style almost? Well, th that's only part of it. So certainly you want to identify what your strengths are. But actually, I'm a, a big believer in identifying what your weaknesses are. Because I found that in any aspect of performance, whether it's athletic performance, business performance, or leadership performance, that it's not our strengths that determine ultimately where we go in, in our ability to lead, but our weaknesses that hold us back. So I often focus on what are the liabilities, what are the obstacles interfering with our ability to communicate, to lead, to deal with conflict, to connect. Right. And so then just on that, on that, then it's identifying those weaknesses. Some, some people would suggest, you know, would say that if you work on your weaknesses too much, you might neglect to build on your strengths. Right. Yeah. So that's an important point to clarify. It's a great question, Yas. So fo focusing on your weaknesses doesn't mean neglecting your strengths. <clears throat> but think of it this way. Let's say on a one to 10 scale, um, you are really strong in empathy. So you're, you're an eight in empathy. So great. And you're a two in, in decision making. So if you focus on your strengths and you, you work on becoming more empathic, um, you, get, you get to, uh, let's say, a nine. And um, and and so there's very small amount because you're hit, hitting a ceiling effect. But if you can raise your decision making capabilities from a two to a five, well, you've just made a significant increase in your ability to um, to lead. So before you had an eight and a ten, an eight and eight and a two is ten. But now you have an eight and a uh, and and a five is thirteen. So you just increased your leadership capabilities by a third. Versus, versus the other way, it would be uh, going eight to nine plus two is 11. So it's just a very, you know, less than 10% improvement. Right. And with you, so, it's much more about the holistic development as opposed to a specific area of, of, you know, within that one of those attributes anyway. So just on that, then, would you say that it's a case of identifying those weaknesses and then building on those to, you know, as you've touched on there, to kind of raise the overall effect or impact you're having. Now, how much of that is down to, or rather, how do you, have you got any particular ways in which you can assess those those attributes, uh, you know, some sort of self-reflection tools that you might use to, to go about doing that? Yeah, I, I do have um, one that I developed for business um, that, that I call pro the prime leadership profile. And I can send that along to you for to share with your audience if you'd like. But fundamentally, as you suggest, a lot of it is just self-reflection. And, and a lot of my work with leaders is just talking about like, so tell me who you are and how you got to be who you are. And what impact does how you are influence your ability to lead? 
So, so, and, and also through observation. So I spend a lot of time with organizations where I will, <clears throat> I'll watch um, a practice, let's say uh, on the pitch and, and you see who people, who coaches are based upon how they are on the pitch. Mm. And so that, that provides a ton of information because that's real. That's not just like, this is how I think I am. This is how I am. So you, I, I hear what you're saying. So then you know, the, on the flip side, you've got some situations where maybe a coach or a certain individual isn't the sole leader of a, of a group or they're part of a leadership team in that respect. Is it just as important then to still be working on those weaknesses or, or is it fair to say that actually in those situations, you might have someone who's a very empathetic person, but then someone who's a bit more of a disciplinarian and they're going with a strength-based style based on their own individual strengths, but collectively as a team, they're hitting all the corners, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's a great observation, Yas. And I think what's really important, um, I do a ton of work in terms of coach comp- coaching staff composition. So putting together a staff that's not just those with certain skill sets. So you have a goal-keeping uh, coach and you've got a defensive coach and so on, but also in terms of what are the different kinds of leadership capabilities that are needed within a coaching staff mm. and, and, and filling that, not just with the ones who have certain practical skill sets, but also have certain personality or leadership skill sets and strengths that would meet that. So like, like you said, you've got somebody who's very empathetic, somebody who can be the hard guy or the hard gal, and so, so it, 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 so it, it overall balances out at the same time, invariably there's going to be, um, for each coach, they're going to have a group that they're going to be responsible for very often. And in that case, they need to have a fairly robust, um, uh, quiver, if you will, of, of capabilities to handle that, that, that they have to do individually with, with their, with their young charges. Right. Okay. So then just to kind of, elaborate on that a little bit you're talking about now the young the in the players that or the athletes involved in that how important is it for them to be aware of the approach ahead of time in terms of how they're going to be led and maybe having yeah. some quote-unquote ground rules or um a prospectus in some ways of what to expect yeah sure well let me back up for a sec because i said there were two ways two things that coaches need to do in terms of how to determine how to lead. And the first, as I indicated, was this idea that personality is leadership. Sure. The second part is who, who, who's, who are, who are my, my charges? Who is my audience? Yeah. So what are learning? So you're going to have a very different leadership style for, for, for you tens than for young professionals who are just assigned um, or, or, uh, or young elite players. And so what are the needs of, of, of the people I'm leading? And looking at that. So in some cases, it might be more empathy. In some cases, it might be being more of a tough guy. And so, so it's very important in, in deciding how best to lead to consider your audience. So just on that, then, would you say there's any consistent behaviors that regardless of need, that's, that, that are mainstays, if that makes sense? Yeah, certainly. Um, I, I think certainly um, openness and empathy is important. Um, a lot of it depends on culture, for sure. Um, but certainly in the U.S., uh, there is... Uh, a sense that, that we can't just kick butt, if you will. And that's sort of the old school soccer style, or in your case, football style. Um, so, um, so I, you know, I think firmness, um, empathy, support, being positive. Um, I think toughness is really good. I'm a tough shrink. I'm a tough dad. Um, but that tough doesn't mean being mean and negative and controlling. It means having clarity on w- what our goals are and how we get there and doing those things and holding people accountable. 
So toughness is, is, is in my view, very important, holding people to task and, and um, while also recognizing that, that the young athletes, they are human beings and they have all, all kinds of struggles. They're not just these athletes kicking a, a football around. And so, so all these things play into the sort of holistic approach of, of who I am and then who is my audience and how best can I work with them to help all of us get where we want to go collectively. Definitely. You know, you see, so you're talking about who I am and the audience. Now, it's something that you've touched on a couple of times. It is that word empathy. Would you mind just expanding a bit on that and what empathy should look like? And for those that may be lacking some of that as in potentially have that as an area of development, what they can do to maybe go about developing that further? Sure. Well, empathy is a tough one because it's certainly a big thing in our culture, at least over here in the U.S. And empathy is basically feeling what other people feel and being able to understand other people's struggles and, and recognizing that, that, that young athletes in this case are, are human beings and that, they're, that when they walk onto the pitch, they don't leave their personness on the sideline. So whether, whatever affects them off the field is going to affect them on the field. And so recognizing that, 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 that as human beings, there are struggles, there are challenges, um, there, are, there are issues that could be interfering with their ability to perform, the, perform their best. And just yelling at them and making them do push-ups and laps doesn't always work. And that understanding and empathy, uh, it creates connection. And ultimately, the, perhaps the most powerful thing that coaches can do to help their athletes get where they want to go and for a team to gel as, as a group is to connect and to feel, and for, for the athletes to feel like he understands me or she understands me. And, and I want to work with this person to get where we all want to go. Right. And, and, and that humanity, that humanity is very, very important. And it's, 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 it's relatively sort of, I don't want to say sort of new agey. I'm not a new agey kind of guy, but, but but humanity and and understanding people's vulnerabilities and strengths together are, are really important because ultimately it's the relationship that matters. And if a coach, it, ultimately, however a coach does it, it doesn't matter. If they can build that relationship of re- respect and trust and commitment and love in a way, then this is just like what you see in the military with great military leaders. They're willing to do anything for their leader. And, and that is all about the relationship. And, and what I'm hearing as you, as you, as you speak there is, is much more about understanding that the individual that you're working with or the group, the group of people that you're working with, they, they should remain at the forefront because ultimately they're the ones who are going to be asked to carry out certain tasks or, or responsibilities can be put on in that respect. So, yeah, yeah. Um, really, really good point. And that also brings up an issue that I deal with a lot in my work with leaders is about ego. Yeah. And, and there's a whole there's a whole thing now, this whole sort of uh, culture yeah. about egoless leadership. I don't believe in egoless leadership because there's no such thing as being egoless. We all have egos. What's important. And this is this is where I really have my radar on when I start to first work with an organization is what is the ego based on? So as human beings, we all have egos. We all need validation. We all want to be perceived as competent. We all want to be respected. And so, but the, but the trick is then is what is that ego based on? And, yeah. too often, and too often, sort of probably traditionally or stereotypically, that ego is based on power and control and domination. 
in, in that how do you get around that then because if if that's the case sometimes that power control and dom- domination is almost well almost certainly going to be detrimental to the outcome unless for you know chance sake you've got a group or play a group of people in front of you or an individual in front of you that actually is very uh recip- you know responsive to that kind of style if that makes sense yeah, and there are certainly some teams you can look at over history where they've had leaders like that. But even then, the, the, a, a distinction is this. Within that ego, what is the focus? So for me, unhealthy ego is about me, what's important to me, my getting the attention, my getting the accolades, getting the results for me and my need and my goals. Healthy ego is about two things. It's about what's best for the organization for all of us collectively and is my ego invested in quality and doing the best possible job and getting the best possible outcome for everybody so that's a really important distinction i look for if i see a coach who's being driven by what i'll just call his unhealthy ego that's that's a real red flag because ultimately we human beings we have tremendous radar for smelling that and for for sensing that. And if we feel like that I'm being asked to do something, not for what's best for me, but what's for the best for the coach, I'm probably going to push back at some point. So, uh, so how, how do we get us from that, that, that ego that's about me to that ego that's about the organization and the outcome? Boy, you know, I have to say that's a challenge because if you have somebody who's a, a, a mature, a quote unquote mature adult, that ego style is probably so embedded and so grounded in unhealthy needs, whether it's fear of failure or uh, a low self-esteem or not feeling respected. Um, that's a heavy lift. That takes some serious work. And, and I, what I would probably say, I, I hate to be pessimistic here, but that, that's probably not going to change because it's probably so well entrenched. And the fact is that style gets coaches and leaders pretty far because they tend to be extremely forceful and they often get results at least at least short-term results but ultimately it is it's a toxic environment to be in with a coach whose needs are the central focus so but ultimately there will be situations where that that kind of coach may be in place so you know for those coaches who are maybe struggling with that aspect do you have any ways or that you've come across particularly that maybe they can actually channel themselves away from that aspect of, of thought process? Or is it a much deeper process in terms of self-reflection and uh, I guess to an extent repair? Yeah, well, it's, it's a combination of both. I, I think simply um, being aware of how that style um, is impacting people and how it's not serving their best interests. So I, I've I, over the years I've come across with many of these these unhealthy ego coaches. And are they going to change? No, um, in any sort of deep way. But if if I can tap into how this style is not helping them, it's actually getting in the way. And and the, so it's not it's not changing their unhealthy ego, but it's using that unhealthy ego that focus on self. To say, okay, if I want to keep my job, if I want to get the respect and get the attention that I want, I need to make some changes. So in, in a way, it's just using their unhealthy way to, to make some changes on the surface that will better serve them. 
Um, because realistically, are you going to get somebody who's totally ego driven and narcissistic? And I don't want to get political here, but there's probably, but there's somebody on this side of the pond who we can probably put into that category um, and, and, uh, um, and get them to be this selfless, um, um, all about everybody else um, type of leader. Probably not. But I have nonetheless seen many coaches over the years who had this, this unhealthy ego driven leadership um, approach. Um, find a lot of success and and be people who can be respected and have long term um, value within an organization or or if they move around organizations. So so it's not necessarily death sentence, but it's certainly a real challenge. And, and ultimately, it's not the healthiest, healthiest environment to be in. And so in a lot of these organizations where, where they've got a very sort of unhealthy, ego driven leader, there's typically a lot of turnover. Definitely. And just to come back to this whole element of leadership style and selecting that initially, you said there were two key areas that you want to look at. One, who am I or who, who, who that individual is as a person? And then the audience that you're maybe working with in, in that environmental context. What are some of the attributes that you would identify consistent from your experience around good leaders? Sure. Um, I think uh, the ability to establish really strong relationships of trust, and that doesn't mean they have to like you. I mean, I've I've, I've had co coaches when I when I when I was an athlete who I hated. Okay. They, they kicked my butt. They picked on me. They drove me unmercifully. And I remember this one particular coach, and because because I thought he hated me, but then he went away for a year and then came back, and he he kept again riding me. And I had this I had this epiphany, this realization that. If he did, if he hated me, he'd ignore me. And the reason why he was pushing me so hard was because he saw something in me that I didn't see. And from that point on, I still hated that he kicked my ass and picked on me. But I, but underneath that was that he loves me and he sees something in me. So so it's okay. But that that element could also often be misunderstood, could it not? Because you, you could have just he might not have come back and had that same approach, but you could have been left there thinking he hates me. True, true. And fortunately, I, I had the opportunity to, to mature myself and also for him to step away and come back and to see that, uh, to, to really see what was underlying that. But that was a real epiphany for me long before my professional career uh, began um, in, in how there are different kinds of coaches and that they all can bring value and all can really help me get where I want to go, or in this case of a team to help an organization get where it wants, get where it wants, get where it wants to go. Sorry. Sure. And just on that, then how important is it then for maybe that coach or the individual lead, the leader to actually discuss and have dialogue with them, with them, with the group of individuals that they're leading or the individual in particular that around how they perceive that leadership style. Yeah, absolutely. Because because what can happen is is you're um, intimating is that if a coach just goes in and does his or her thing, and and maybe it's maybe it's a very pretty harsh style, then the natural reaction for for the athletes is just to back off and to go, oh my gosh, this guy's a jerk. This per this woman's a jerk. This is terrible. But if they but coaches can preempt that by and also model some empathy and some some self-reflection by saying um new coach comes in and say look you guys um i can be pretty emotional and i can get pretty upset and the chances are i'm going to yell at you some if you're not working as hard as i think you can but let me tell you why i'm doing it because and this gets to this healthy versus unhealthy ego so with this coach that i had who kicked my butt he was doing it for me 
is what was in, the, in my best interest, not in what was his best interest. And so if a coach can go in and convince his players that, look, I can be pretty emotional and I can get upset and I'm going to yell at you and I'm going to kick you in the ass and part of my language and, and, but I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it because I see something in you and I believe I can get more out of you. That totally changes the lens through which his or her athletes look at the coach. And so, so, so for example, being ignored, that is, that, that could be a good thing. It's like, Oh, I, I must not be, I must be doing everything. Okay. But if I'm, but what that probably means is that the coach doesn't care. So if the coach is yelling at me or being tough on me, it's because it's because he or she cares and wants me and believes I can do better. And that totally changes how the athlete looks, the athletes look at the coach and how they respond to the coach. So again, going back to before I hated him and it hurt my motivation until I had this realization. Then it was like, he loves me. He's doing this to help me bring it on. And I responded to it because I understood where it was coming from. So that idea of, of preemptively explaining how you lead and who you are is really powerful in, in, in how th that way, that way you lead impacts the people you're working with. Definitely. And I think, you know, just, to, just to kind of build on that, then would you mind just maybe talking to how important, how much more important that is in a situation where maybe uh, you're, you're a coach going into a new environment, which might have been set in a particular way for, an extended period of time because obviously the people in that environment might be used to a particular style or used to a particular way of things being uh, I guess delivered and worked through that understanding that going into that environment the maybe the change or the rate at which that those changes are implemented might have to be a lot slower yeah well it's it is very important this this idea of educating a, a new audience if you will about who you are and how you lead. Because the fact is, if they had a, a coach before that was different, and the chances are that if the previous coach was let go, it was because they were different and it probably wasn't working. Um, nonetheless, yeah, athletes get used to um, having a, a certain style. So for example, maybe this one coach was super caring and supportive, but maybe not demanding and having enough expectations. So the, the, so the athletes sort of got maybe a little lazy, a little comfortable with not being pushed. Then all of a sudden, if you have this new coach come in and without any discussion, start setting up being really disciplined and having people have everybody has to arrive on time and wear certain clothes and, 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 and be prepared in a certain way, that's very disruptive of the way that they'd, be, that they'd gotten comfortable. But if, if that coach with a new leadership style, the new leadership way goes in and says, guys, there are going to be some changes here. And the coach before did was this way and that way and that way, as I as, as I understand. Well, I'm going to be different. And this is how I'm going to be different. And this is why I'm going to be different. And then always tying it back into we're here to accomplish something. And to, to let's say to win a championship. And if you can tie in the way you lead with the goals that you want to help the team achieve, that is an incredibly powerful hook. Because then the athletes, even when you're yelling at them or you're making them do extra laps or they're tired or, or whatever it is, they're doing more than they, they're used to doing, they're going to go then go back to, oh, yeah, this is because this coach is getting us to where we want to go and where we hadn't gotten before with the previous coach. Right. 
But then, you know, just talking about coming back to the whole leadership then, in in terms of that relationship between the players and the coach, would you mind talking to how important it is that the coach or the leader in this in, in the situation is open to the point where the I, I, you know I'm just going to call them the followers in this particular context, the followers or the people being led have the opportunity to maybe confront and critique and challenge and pose questions around the particular style of that leader? Yeah. Well, I, I think that it's important for especially older um, athletes, meaning to, from, let's say, teenagers on, to be able to have input into how the team is run. Now, I don't mean the in, the inmates run in the asylum, that's for sure. But it, but ownership is important. There's no doubt that that athletes who feel a sense of ownership, like this is my thing, and who feel a sense of accountability, like I'm being held accountable for my actions, they respond and they work harder and produce better results. Um, at the same, and, and so part of that ownership uh, is that that this is a collaboration. This is not just the coaches, I'm the boss and everybody does what I tell them. Because in, in a way, the, the athletes are the clients or the customers and that they need to be happy. And as we all know, we've seen at professional athletes who aren't happy and it's not a very good thing. So I th- certainly think that it's a very healthy message uh, to, of role modeling to be receptive to feedback because certainly you want the coach, you want the athletes, the coach wants the athletes to be receptive to feedback. Well, if the coach is closed off the feedback, then that sends an unhealthy message to the athletes about openness and coachability. Mm. And so, so being open to, to feedback about, okay, maybe I can make adjustments here because that empowers the athletes. That means they, it makes them feel like they have some control over their world and and control or a sense of control is vital to high functioning um, uh, performance in people. Definitely. Now what I'm hearing as you speak there is that whole element of lead by example, practice what you preach. Um, Ultimately, if the coach is able to, you know, be open and be open to criticism, critique and questioning around what they're doing, then that sets the tone for the players to to, to equally, I guess, have that same, you know, acceptance towards it. Right. Right. Because another important part of that, it goes back to ego. And we we think of, of, of egos as I think of them as sort of strong or weak. And somebody who's unable to accept criticism or feedback has a weak ego and, and you don't, and that's, that's not healthy. And so you want to model as a coach, being able to be receive tough feedback because that's necessary to get where the, the team wants to go. And so what, what it for me is if somebody can admit mistakes and, and, and take feedback to heart, that shows incredible strength and 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 that's that strength can then can be leveraged to tough situations where the leader needs to make some difficult decisions or be tough on the athletes and you know just to kind of build on that then how important is it that maybe when working with youth athletes that the leader is building connections and relationships with the i guess the supporting members of of the of the leader of that group so i.e. parents, family members, and any other one, anyone else who's, I guess, supporting those athletes in, the, in those contexts? Yeah, it's, it's absolutely huge, yes, because 
parents have the most powerful influence on kids. Now, coaches play a huge role, but parents are the ones raising them who have the most of the time. So, uh, and, and, and very often you'll have coaches and parents working across purposes and, and that hurts the, the young athlete. So what's important is that there be healthy communication between parents and, and coaches. So all the energy is flowing toward the, toward the child about what's best for the child. And, and if, if the coach and the coaches and the parents are on the same page, then they're going to be sending the same con consistent messages. And that's especially true when you have a coach who maybe is tough, whereas the parent might be indulgent, for example, then that's going to be sending some very complex and contradictory messages to the athletes. So getting the coaches and the parents on the same page is super important. And it's almost like co coaches need to be leaders of the parents as well, because if you can get the coaches behind you, um, then, then, you have so much more power in the good sense to, to, to influence the, the young athletes. Definitely. <laughs> from my experience, I would say that parents, and I agree with you, parents have a massive part to play and a massive influence in, in, in this development of that young athlete. And I've, I've never come across a parent who's maybe ill-intended doesn't have good intentions and doesn't just want to support the, the the young athlete however a lot of them are misinformed and maybe uh, lack some education around some of the ways in which we're going to try and support these individuals so, yeah yeah, yeah. Um, it's essentially you brought that up because I have this sort of semi-joke semi-serious thing that I tell parents is that all parents are well-intentioned they love their kids they want what's best for them some are, some are misguided and a few are mentally ill and um, in that case, as you suggest, um, take those good intentions and educate parents on how to turn them into good actions. Because the fact is, the vast majority of parents want what's best for their kids, but they don't know unless they were elite performers um, in their youth. Parents just don't know what to do. And so if, if coaches, this is what, why I'm a big believer in having parent education be a part of, of, of a youth sports organization, is that if you can educate parents, you can get them on your side and you can, you're, you're all pulling the same oar, if you will. And at the same time, as I'm sure you know from firsthand experience, there are going to be some parents who are, you know, maybe not mentally ill, but, but so caught up in themselves that they, they simply can't. Yeah, and no matter, no matter what you do, they're going to do the wrong things. And in that case, well, it's the kid that suffers. And all you can do as a coach is try to counterbalance that unhealthy messaging from the parents with healthy messaging from you. Definitely. I think one of the things as well to kind of touch on there, and it'll be good to get your views on is we're moving. We've already started moving. And I think we're already in this space now within, uh, I guess, sports coaching in particular in, with, with youth athletes anyway, that it's, there's a lot more focus around it becoming a needs-centered approach, a player-centered approach, or athlete-centered approach. And for a lot of parents, you know, understandably, even for myself, initially when I first got in, first got into coaching, I'm sure that you've been exposed to something similar. It was much more about a coach-centered approach. So for some of these parents, they're just going off maybe what they have known in the past or what they've potentially experienced themselves and don't quite understand that actually this is a shift that it's not just in football but just industries and or sports across or coaches across the whole the whole sport and world are shifting towards a much more need center approach as a as a, almost a mainstream thing what are your thoughts on that 
Yeah, no, I agree. There's definitely been a cultural shift um, in sports um, toward, and, and you know why exactly this is, I can't say specifically, but uh, a shift away more toward sensitivity and needs you know, of the athletes. And is that necessarily a healthy thing? I'm not sure, but it certainly requires um, some adjustments because the fact is this, this idea of this old school sort of hard ass coach, um, they're, they're going the way of dinosaurs and, and more sophisticated um, coaching, both in terms of, of scientific knowledge, as well as um, more sophisticated understanding of, of, of the psychology of, of their athletes and how they impact them. Uh, is becoming coming much more to the forefront these days in in the quote unquote coaching sciences. Definitely. So, kind of just coming back to leadership now. Um, obviously, you know we want to try and go into some uh, essential how to steps on becoming a good leader. What, 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 where would you say that someone needs to start? Obviously, we talked about identifying first who you are and then the audience when it comes to identifying potentially the style of your leadership. But in yeah. becoming a good leader overall, what, where, where does that journey start? Yeah, well, I think it starts with, um, again, um, self-reflection and really getting a sense of who you are as a person, what your st personality style is. And that can be accomplished through, you know, there are all kinds of online um, personality tests you can take. Um, you can just simply look at yourself and see how you respond to people in terms of, are you good at building relationships? What kind of emotional style do you have? How do you react to the world in terms of emotions? Um, how how uh, clearly do you make decisions? How confident you are? How you deal with stress? Um, how you um, are good? How you how are you at at um, connecting and leading other coaches? So there's there's a whole list of areas that that you can sort of collect data on to help you figure out who you are. Um, another thing is to look at coaches. Um, out there that you admire. And typically we admire those who are somewhat similar to us or are vastly different from us. And, and so look at some of the qualities. So not, not leadership style, but what are some of the qualities that you see that you admire in other, in maybe well-established coaches? And, and, and sort of catalog those and see, think about how then you can incorporate, the, incorporate those qualities into who you are and how you coach. Um, and then do an analysis of, of, of your audience, that is who you're gonna be coaching. And what are their needs? What are their goals? What are, what are, where are they developmentally? And, and wh what are some of the challenges that they're facing um, that are gonna help you be a better coach or are gonna interfere with your ability to help them get where they wanna go? So th those are a few really practical things that are, that are useful. Oh, um, actually one more thing I wanna add. A mentorship. So, um, in, in identifying what your style is, it's it's often difficult to sort of self-evaluate how you coach. So, it is very helpful to have a mentor who can observe you coaching and give you feedback on 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 how that's coming across. Because it's one thing to say, okay, this is my intention in doing this thing with my young athletes. It's another thing in how they receive it. And ultimately, what matters is how they receive it. So it can be helpful for a, a coach to have a mentor who can observe and then give feedback on, so this is a situation you were in where you had an athlete who wasn't working very hard, and this is how you reacted, and, and, this, is, and this, is, this is how that athlete responded, or how the other athletes responded, or um, this is what I saw that could have helped, or here's another approach you could have taken. 
So that's all really valuable, that, that feedback from, from experienced mentors. So just, just on that then, you know, the whole mentoring aspect of things, and I totally agree with you that having a mentor, it, it can be so uh, beneficial. However, it's not as simple as just saying, oh, yeah, I want a mentor. Let's go and get a mentor. Because certainly there'll be a lot of coaches listening to this. And, you know, maybe for the, some of the newer coaches that might be listening to this, um, or even some experienced ones to be fit. Finding a mentor isn't that easy, and it's not just finding a mentor, but maybe finding the right mentor. So, what would you, you know, what would your advice be to maybe on the steps towards getting there to finding that right mentor? What are the things that you look for in a mentor specifically, and what about what are some of the questions that you maybe would consider for these coaches to maybe ask themselves when assessing whether a mentor is right for them? Because they might be a great coach, they might be very experienced, they might have offer some of those things, um, and often. I'll give you an example, for instance, in the coach education pathway here, um, once the coaches have finished a particular qualification or certification, one of the action points tends to be go and, experience, go and observe a more experienced coach, go and work alongside a more experienced coach. But that's very vague because um, it could be more experience in qualification, more experience in terms of how long they've been coaching. But often for a new coach or maybe a lesser experienced coach, identifying what good practices can also be challenging sometimes do you know they do view it as because this person's been coaching for a set amount of time they must be experienced they must be good if that makes sense yeah well just because somebody's been doing something a long time doesn't mean they're necessarily good at it especially in the coaching world because very often at least over here coaches are in demand so i've seen coaches who are terrible coaches but they've had long careers because there are always programs who can who need coach and so a lot of it is just see, maybe they see they see how the coach the experienced coach works and you like their style um or they um you ha you have developed a relationship with a coach and and you're, com you're comfortable with them and you trust them so i think there are a lot of different aspects that go into it but ultimately it's um it's do you like the way this person coaches and and one thing that would be ideal in a way i suppose is does this person have a coaching approach I don't want to use the word style that's similar to mine or they we have similar personalities. You know, do they they do they have qualities that that I believe that I can emulate with 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 practice and experience. And so so you don't want to just pick uh, any old coach as a mentor, but but one that you see can bring value based upon what your needs are and what they bring to the table. Definitely. And I think, you know, just kind of coming back to the, the whole style thing and assessing who you are, how important is it within that then to maybe identify also, yes, you're going to identify the audience, but sometimes you may not necessarily be working with the audience that you would like to work with in the long term. So, i.e., I could be working with a group of U11s or U12s now, however, my long term ambition could be working with U16s. How important is it to address that and be fully aware of that aspect of things? And in terms of building those qualities towards that aspect of things, would you say that it's maybe more recommend, more of a recommendation for coaches to kind of look to go into that aspect of things as early as possible? So if I want to work with U16s, would it be beneficial for maybe to get in and work with U16s as early as possible, even if it's at a lower level, if that makes sense? As well, a I'm a big, yeah, yeah. So I'm a big believer that you have to work your way up the ladder. 
and that so somebody without a lot of experience isn't going to be hired to be uh, the, the coach, head coach or manager of, of, a, of a high level professional team. Although the fact is, certainly, for example, in the National Basketball Association, you get um, former players. And Steve Nash is one recently who just signed to coach one of the NBA teams. A phenomenal player. Uh, clearly, everybody saw him as a smart guy and very capable, but he'd never coached before. And yet he's coaching an NBA team. And so that sort of thing does happen. But in an ideal world, um, capabilities are developed pro progressively and incrementally. Um, and so, you know, you first develop the, the technical capabilities and, and the progressions, and then that moves into more sophisticated areas such as leadership and psycho psychology and physiology and so on. And so uh, so I think you have to work. I believe in working your way up through the system and, and, and developing skills that that will be valuable later on, but still need to be developed with a lower level of athlete or your or a younger athlete. Sure. And, you know, the. You talked there about you know using the example of Steve Nash. Now that can be quite frustrating for a lot of coaches because sometimes there is this perspective of the professional uh, or the ex-professional athlete goes straight into one of those uh, I guess uh, prized positions. Now that can right. also it, you know that can also bring its own challenges. How important is it for us to maybe not focus too far ahead on that those sorts of things? Just focus on. That? leading in the moment and not thinking about what's next and taking each day as it comes in that respect. Yeah, well, that kind of situation in in the NBA that happens a fair amount where you have a, a successful professional player who is brought in to, um, to be a head coach. But even then, very often you will see professional players who um, who start out as an assistant coach and work their way up. But what's important to recognize is that just because you play professionally doesn't mean you're going to be a great coach. Because very often the best professional athletes um, are not good coaches because they were so gifted that they never really had to think about what it took to be a great athlete. They just practiced a lot and they got really good because they were so talented. And so I, I, this is purely anecdotal, but I'm going to say that very often the best coaches were, were very good professionals or competent professionals as players. Um, uh, that is to say the ones who came from the professional rank. Um, but weren't necessarily the best, and because they had to think, they had to think about the game to get where they got, and and I think Steve Nash was a good example of that. Um, but certainly, there's a lot of frustration among coaches who put in the years and don't get that opportunity because of the the shiny new thing um, gets the job. But ultimately, they're relatively exceptions to that rule with anything. So in almost every walk of life. People start at the bottom and work their way up and put in years. Think of a surgeon. They don't just start doing surgery. You know, they watch and they practice um, on cadavers or whatever and work their, their way up. And so the same with coaching in an ideal world, because coaching these days is a very sophisticated profession that has that requires many, many areas of expertise. And so that takes a lot of time and a lot of education and practice and mentoring to get to, to, to develop that, that plethora of, of, of competencies that ultimately results in being a great coach and a great leader. And, and I think you, you're spot on there. I think there is that element of coaches having different attributes. Now, I wanna kind of take the conversation towards you a little bit now. Now, obviously, You've been working in this field for a number of years. You've written many books. Uh, you're internationally recognized for your work in this area. I'm just 
interested to know whether you've had potentially any challenges with leadership yourself and um, maybe give us an example of what that was and how you've maybe overcome it yourself and addressed that situation. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, just to give you some perspective, I remember when I, uh, I was 26 when I earned my PhD and I thought I was just the coolest thing in the world and I knew everything. And then after seven years, I finally realized that I was just starting to get decent. And so it, it was, it was, I, I remember very clearly, I reached this point where after seven years, I felt like I finally am pretty good at what I do. And after 15 years, I was thinking like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good at what I do. And now I've been doing this for several decades. And, and, and now I think I'm really good at what I do, but that just might be my ego. Who knows? But, but the fact is that, that certainly, I mean, you know, my personality, I tend to be, like I said, I'm, I'm tough and I'm, I'm very confident and I believe I know what is best. And that hasn't always served me well when I've gone into work with an organization where I come in as the expert with all the answers. Because coaches especially don't like to be told what to do and they don't like to think that they don't know everything. And, and so I've learned through some painful experience that that style hasn't worked, it doesn't work. And that I've had to become much more empathetic and patient and inquisitive and, 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 and focus more on, okay, so where are you people at? What do you know? What are your challenges? Instead of just coming in and saying, okay, here's the system, let's do it. And, and so, so, you know, I've, I've, I've had the same struggles that many young leaders have had um, in their careers of, of having a certain leadership way based upon my personality that wasn't, didn't always work. And in some cases it worked. Some, with some organizations I worked with, I'd come in, they wanted an expert. They wanted to be told what to do. Mm. But that's not the case with every organization. And, 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 I, and I've suffered for it. And I'll, I'll be very open about that. So just on that, then, you know, kind of you talk about the suffering from that element sometimes where maybe your approach hasn't been right. Could you, can you think of maybe one behavior that or trait that you see across other leaders that maybe you've worked with that frequently doesn't lead them to success? It's something to kind of, you know, for maybe people listening to this to potentially avoid. Yeah, um, being a know-it-all. Okay. That, that's a big one. Being a know-it-all um, and not listening not listening and hearing where other people are at. Those are, those are two of probably the biggest that I can think of. Brilliant. And just on that, you know, you, you talk there essentially about communication. Now, quite often a lot of people think communication is just being able to deliver a message and not maybe take on board information as well. You might just talking about how important that aspect of things is. And actually we talked about earlier, you know, uh, developing a feeling and an understanding through, you know, be, being empathetic towards, the individual that you're, I guess, having dialogue with or the people that you're working with, how important is it to actually remember that actually communication is a two-way thing? And would you mind just going into a bit of detail around that? Oh, my gosh. Um, communication, it's, it's, it's the foundation of everything. It's the foundation of relationships. It's the foundation of being able to convey um, information in terms of skill acquisition and technique and tactics. It's the ability to build a team culture. Communication is the foundation of everything. And communication is not just one way. It's got to be both ways. And being, being able to communicate a message, being able to receive a message, and also, again, in communicating the message, making sure it's it's the message that the message that is received is the message that is sent. And so often, conflict arises when there is a discrepancy between the message that I intend to send and the message that people receive. Mm. And so, so if you think about 
the vast majority of, of successful leaders in every walk of life. The vast majority are one of their singular strengths is their ability to communicate effectively because that establishes connection, which establishes relationship, which establishes trust and respect. And from there, then when you have those things, you can influence people in an incredibly positive way. No, I totally agree with you, and I think you know what it, it just rings a bell for me sometimes when I, you know, when I'm on my coaching courses, delivering and working with other coaches, I always say to them, I always ask them the question, you know, whose responsibility do you feel it is for the message to be conveyed correctly? Is it the person giving the message or the person receiving it? Now, if the person receiving the message receives it, that's just how they perceive it. Ultimately, it's for you as a coach or the person conveying that message to ensure that it has been correctly understood. Absolutely, because the recipient has no control over the message. It's entirely up to the sender if the, the, this, to make sure that the message they're sending is also the message that's going to be received. Right, and it just kind of emphasizes even more on the idea of who is the audience, how do they perceive things, what is their experience, and how do they take it on board. And you know, I was having a conversation with another uh, a coach recently where they said, ultimately, look, the coach is the one who needs the players. The players don't need the coach because the players can still play the game or participate without a coach present. So the coach, in order for the coach to stay in a job, they need to be making sure that the players are understanding what they're doing and they're getting the best out of their players by, as you touched on earlier, about who is their audience, what are their needs. Right, and yes, so the the, the players don't necessarily, quote-unquote, need the co coach because they can still play, but they need the coach because in an ideal world, the purpose of the coach is to help the players get everything they can out of themselves, both individually and collectively. So, so yes, a bunch of players can go out and play on the pitch and um, they'll do fine, but they need a coach uh, to be able to get everything they can out of their capabilities. Definitely. So to kind of just a you know, question beyond that then is if you had to identify one characteristic that a coach or every coach should have, what would that be? The ability to establish respect and trust. Because without it, all the expertise in the world will mean nothing because the players will shut themselves off. If they don't respect or trust the coach, respect in terms of um, this person is really capable and trust in terms of they have our or my best interests at heart, a wall goes up. It's just shut down and there's going to be no openness to messages making whatever expertise they have, the coaches have worthless right so you know and, and ultimately you know, the, key, the key things i'm hearing from you there are the players have to again be at the forefront you have to understand establish that respect for the players so they can equally respect the coach ensure that the co they understand that the coach has their best interests at heart um and you know it, it brings you back to i guess the story about yourself where you say that coach you thought the coach hated you but when you had a time away from him and you, and you came back, you realized actually he might be behaving in a certain way, but I understand the reasons why. Right. So again, it's the intentions that matter. And, and as I said before, I believe there's a place for being a quote unquote tough coach, but it's if they understand that this toughness not comes not from because I don't like you or because you're a bad person, you're a bad athlete, but because I see something in you that I want to bring out. And I feel like this is what's necessary to do that then it totally changes the calculus of how they respond, just like it did with me. Sure. 
So, you know, just as we start to wind down now, you know, obviously this episode is much more around what good leadership looks like and how, yes, I'm, I want us to kind of, if we could, find a way to get some how-to steps on becoming a good leader. If you could just summarize that for our listeners. Yeah, just looking back on what we've talked about this last hour, um, self-reflection, figure out who you are, what makes you tick, because that is going to be what determines what kind of coach you are and how you lead. Um, second is to know your audience and figure out that within your way of coaching and your way of leadership, what adjustments do I need to make to best address the, the, the athletes I'm working with? So certainly, as you indicated earlier, if you're coaching U11, very different than coaching U17s or young professionals or established stars. And so, so it requires a degree of flexibility to adjust to the audience you're working with. And then um, identify some really good role models for you as a coach of coaches out there who you know what they do and you see value in their approach and study that and, and, and get an understanding of how they're able to do that. And then uh, finally, uh, not finally, but second to finally, um, getting the feedback from a mentor to give you feedback like, you know, oh, so earlier today when you had that interaction with the athlete who wasn't working very hard. This is how you reacted. This is what how they reacted. Here are some ways that you might change that in the future. And then uh, Pent ultimately is um, being able to just be patient and gain experience, putting yourself in as many situations as you can where you can learn from it. And, and from wrapping all this stuff up, it's all about having a growth mindset. And which I'm sure you, you're familiar with from Carol Dweck at Stanford and, and being open and receptive to feedback, to change, to the realization that, that I don't have it down yet because the best coaches I come across, I don't necessarily mean the most successful, but the best coaches are the ones who are constantly growing, constantly evolving, constantly learning, constantly challenging themselves, constantly looking for new ways to become the best coach they can be. Because yes, just looking at my career, I reached a threshold after a couple of decades where I felt like I was darn good at what I did. But to this day, I'm constantly learning, constantly growing, not only as a, uh, as a coach, but as a person. And actually that brings up uh, maybe another final point in this idea that, going back to what I said at the beginning about how you can't separate the coach from the person, that, that evolving as a coach involves evolving as a person. And so really looking at yourself as a person and in your relationships with family, with friends, how you interact with the world, how you deal with stress and crises and challenges, all the things that make us people, constantly looking for ways to become a better person. Because again, to wrap all this stuff up, whatever person you are, that's the kind of leader you're going to be. Brilliant. Well, look, Jim, I just want to say thank you again for your time this morning. Um, very insightful now you know i think you've done it really well in terms of breaking down those steps for us um if any of our listeners have any questions or wanted to get in touch with you or, or find out more information about what you do would you mind just sharing sharing where they could do that sure the easiest place is go to my website um drjimtaylor.com drjimtaylor.com i have um a blog with um a sports section and um, i've got tons and i mean hundreds of articles that are relevant for coaches. Um, I also have um, a podcast called Train Your Mind for Athletic Success um, that's geared toward coaches and athletes. 
Um, I have a number of books related to mental training and sports psychology that, that are on there. Um, I also offer um, an online course um, called uh, Prime, Prime Sport Coaching, and that, that discusses ways that um, coaches can um, incorporate the psychological aspects of sport more deeply into their coaching approach with their athletes. So bottom line is just go to my website, drjimtaylor.com, and you'll find out way more than you'll ever want to know about me and what I do. Well, there you have it, guys. You've been listening to another edition of the Coaches Network How-To Series, where we discuss a range of topics and with the help of our guests and break down some actionable how-to steps for you to reach your full potential. Now, I've got no doubt that you've enjoyed today's episode as much as we have, but I just want to say thanks again, guys. You know, your support is massively appreciated. So thanks again for everyone that's been tuning in and please do get in touch with us and today's guest to let us know where you're listening from, to share your thoughts, your views and your key takeaways from today's show. Along with any suggestions for guests you'd like to see on the show and any topics you'd like to hear discussed, ultimately, guys, the show is about you guys. So let us know what you're interested in, who you're interested in listening from, to get us and get in touch. And on that note, guys, you can get in touch on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. But please do not forget to use the hashtag The Coaches Network. That was the hashtag The Coaches Network. We need as much support we can get to keep this great content coming out to you. Now, lastly, guys, I just want to say keep an eye out for our socials on the latest updates and announcements for upcoming guests and discussion topics with our panel. Until next time, guys, take care and have a great day. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together.